You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, hey, I want to encourage you, grab your Bibles um, and turn in your Bibles. The thick one in front of you is the one that we've put there in the back, the, the Faith Community Church Bibles. And by the way, if you know anybody who needs a Bible that's readable for them, don't take those. Take the ones that are on the back, um, the blue ones that are in the back. Those are like uh, bigger print and, you know, easier to read and stuff. But turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning because that's where we're going to be studying for the next weeks ahead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. We're going to get into it in a minute, but before we do, I want to pray again because I know I, I need help um, with preaching. Father God, thank you today for your incredible love, this series we're doing, God is for us, which is words right out of this chapter that you're for us. And yet it's something that so easily falls out of my consciousness, and I'm sure everyone else who is listening. God, help us today to see the power of the fact that you didn't leave us alone in this journey from sinner to saint. And um, I pray that uh, you will equip me to say something, something from this text that opens up the door to new ways of experiencing the abundant life that you want us to experience, even now, no matter what our circumstances And so, Lord, we just give you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we were to sit down and we were all to talk about our stories of how we came to know the the great story of God's forgiveness and how he has given us salvation, we all have these great stories. And some of you, you've heard bits of mine or maybe all of mine, if you've ever been in a community group with Alita and myself, I've shared how my story was this tender moment, a bedtime moment with my father about the age of five when uh, my dad explained to me the good news to my curious and very eager little heart. And uh, after he explained it to me, I just knew from what I could understand of it, I wanted in. I want in on that. And that night, I, I prayed with my dad. I told Jesus that I loved him for what he had done for me on, a, on the cross. And if he was willing to forgive me and let me live with him forever, I was going to be the person who was going to say yes. I'm saying yes. And that, uh, receiving salvation, even at the age of five, from what little I understood of it, it was an exciting and awesome experience. I mean, it's still, everything in that moment is clearly just burned into my brain. But then I spent the next 15 years or so thinking that transformation was going to have to be up to me. That if I was, like, if I was tempted by sin, I thought it was going to be all on me to just say no. And if, this, and if I did say no one time, but then the temptation was so strong and it kept coming back at me and it was so enticing, well, then I was going to have to double down even harder to just say no. And I thought that staying on God's good side and becoming more like Jesus was going to be up to me to have to rally all of my best intentions and all of my best thoughts and all of my strength of will, little as it was, to work hard in order to be a better person and to remain on God's good side. I thought for years 
that salvation, well, that was a gift from God. I couldn't do that. But my transformation into a more healthy and whole human being, well, that was a work that was going to be left to me. And so I spent a decade and a half plus of the first years of my walk with sweet Jesus thinking that whole way. That was how I thought, which, of course, led to so many times of disappointment in myself, disillusionment in faith. And I tell you that story about myself because it is not uncommon for believers who maybe have walked with God for a really long time in their life to think this, the salvation of me, that's on God. The transformation of me, that's on me. I think a lot of us think that we're on our own when it comes to our personal formation or transformation into a more healthy and whole human being. And I think it usually divides out within believers in one of two ways. One way is the way that we'll call the legalist approach. That was, that was me. I was just describing that approach to you from my own experience. This is the believer who works <clears throat> harder and harder all by their lonesome, because they, they believe, well, I'm on my own here with this, and, and out of their very limited willpower to just say no and to do better and to be better. They work really hard to stay on God's good side every day. That's, the, that's one approach. The other approach is the approach that is the antinomian approach. And you're like, what? What word is that? Who's going to use that tomorrow, Andy? Why are you even using a big word like that? Well, you can impress people if you play Scrabble, maybe, this week. Maybe that'll be a great mix for you and you get some good points. The word antinomian, I'm not afraid to use big words in this church because, one, I know the people of Faith Community Church are quite smart. You can handle it. This is a theological term. The word antinomium, it's the view that Christians no longer need to worry about observing or having any concern about morality because all, everything's all forgiven. That's the concept. And this is the believer who thinks they're all on their own. They're all alone after salvation in a very different kind of way. They conclude, well, all, all I know how to do for my whole life is I know how to do me. So I'll just keep doing me like I did before Jesus saved me. And if in the process of doing me, I make a mess, then God will do what he does and he'll just keep forgiving me and then keep forgiving me and keep forgiving me. But I want you to hear from both of these approaches, the legalist approach, the antinomian approach. In both approaches, people are fundamentally believing they're all on their own in their journey from sinner to saint, from cradle to grave to resurrection. And my question this morning is, first of all, I want you to kind of think about where do you land in this? Do you have some strands of this kind of stuff in some of your thinking and how you approach God? And the question is, is that right? Today, I want to get a clear answer. As we continue our study, God is for us. Just those words, God is for us, it seems so simple to understand, right? But it is such a simple, simple truth that God is for us. And yet we all so easily, we ignore it, we, we forget it, we struggle to believe it. And so we're studying what theologians and Bible scholars consider to be the highest mountain peak of the high mountain peaks of the entire New Testament, which is this chapter, Romans chapter 8. 
which we're going to study, and we started last week going through it verse by verse, because at least in this summer of 2022, I, I just think it's time for us to kind of rally for a few weeks and just to try to get it, to better get God really, really is for us, and he's not against us. So if you have your Bible open, we're going to go through the next verses of our study, starting in Romans 8 and verse 5. Here's what we read. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, there's a lot of dense stuff packed in there. But let's just try to simplify it by like pulling it all apart, what Paul's talking about. Paul describes for you and I two very different domains. Now, he, in this passage, in the English translation, we heard the word realm. That's just kind of like, that just sounds so Renaissance realm, kingdom realm. And I'm like, we're kind of better with like websites. Like your, what's your domain website, right? So I'm going to use the word domain. He talks about two very different domains of powerfully invasive influence inside of the human soul. Okay. So two different domains of powerfully invasive influence inside of the human soul. The idea is the gospel worldview says that you're either one domain or you're in the other. So let's kind of unpack it. On the one hand, Paul says, people can live in the domain of the invasive power and influence of this thing Paul calls the flesh. Now, when we read the flesh, you know, if you're like newbie to the Bible, you're like, okay, so what's he talking? Is he talking about like our fingers and toes and our skin and Bones is, is that is that what he means? And the answer is no. Paul, for him, this word is a code word. It's a it's code word for the the condition of of being stranded all alone with your internal dissatisfied moods that are always trying to find a resolution. These internal dissatisfied moves that we are constantly trying to satisfy through what the world throws in front of us to say, hey, this will fix it. And even and in these moods that even if the cost of satisfying these moods is going to harm us and harm others, we'll do it. That's what he's defining. That's his code word, the flesh. And in the flesh, this is a condition where we'll kind of break it down a little bit. He says in verse five, it's a condition where the mind is set on what the flesh desires. 
Mind is another code word for Paul. Mind isn't just like just your brain. It's code word for all of the faculties of our human soul that includes our reasoning and includes our preoccupations and our imagination that get focused on satisfying unsatisfied moods. So the first thing he says about this domain is it's a mind that's set on just desires, satisfying desires, sating my desire. Verse 6, it says it's a mind that's set on satisfying the addictions of the flesh, and it is a mind that brings death. Now, again, let's back up, right? What does the gospel worldview tell us? It tells us it starts in beauty that Genesis chapter 1, that God created an environment, a world in which everyone who was ever going to be born would be born into a world that could live in community with God and enjoy that communion with him forever. That's, that's God's original intent. So the gospel worldview says that we were created to thrive and to flourish in close relationship with God. Which means when we end up stranded all alone in sin with just our desires, that's, it, that's this project of constant diminishment, constant loss of flourishing to the point that we're in a state of progressively dying to the point that then we do actually die. So this is a condition, the mindset on the flesh is what it desires. It's a condition where the mind brings death. And in verse seven, it's the kind of mind that's just hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's good laws. They're stranded in a world of ignorance. They're ignorant to who God actually is. They're ignorant to what God is actually trying to do, all the goodness he's trying to do in the world. Um, and, and so it's so bad, they're not able to, to positively respond to God. And verse 8 even says they can't please God. That's just kind of, let's give it a cross section. This is this one domain. And, and I will say, if you look at this, if you're honest as a believer, though it is true that we as believers will struggle with the remnants of this stuff, right? Some of, may, some of us may have already done that this morning before we had our caffeine. Um, and, and some of us can even fall into seasons highly influenced by the flesh. And some of you may be there. They, as believers, no longer live in the domain of an incurably invasive influence of the flesh. It's not a domain where that's the default setting. On the other hand, Paul says, here's another domain. One who has trusted Jesus for forgiveness in life, also known as a believer, is no longer stranded on their own, but they now live in a new domain of the powerfully invasive influence of the Holy Spirit. And this is a whole new, very, very cool domain. And a lot of us as believers, we maybe have heard about it and it's just merely a theological bullet point. And we really literally have no idea how very cool this domain is. Paul says it's a domain where in verse six, our minds are increasingly held by the invasive influence of the spirit in our life, which brings about greater and greater and greater experiences of life and peace. He says in verse 10, it's a condition, it's a domain where even though our body is still subject to physical expiration, death, because of the effects of sin, the spirit is actively engaged through his invasive influence in our lives to produce greater and greater flourishing in our life that ultimately leads, what he says in verse 11, is to our actual unending life, to live forever with God. 
You see these, these, these two domains, right? The domain of the flesh and the domain of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is telling every one of us who believes, he's saying, you are no longer stranded on your own. You're not on your own. I wish little Andy had heard this when I was much, much younger, instead of having to walk a decade and a half thinking I was on my own for my transformation. You're not on your own because the Holy Spirit, God lives in you. And he said, and the second thing is, in that Holy Spirit who's living in you is doing the work of transferring you and transforming you. The Spirit is the one who's transferred you. It's done in the past from being stranded in this domain of the incurably powerful, invasive influence of the flesh. And that's all you got. And that's all you're addicted to. And that's all you can respond to. He has transferred you out of that domain. It's a done deal in the past. You're not in it anymore. And then he says this, and then that spirit, now that you're not in it, is the one who's transforming you. In this present moment, even as you're speaking and listening to this sermon and reading God's word, that spirit is the one transforming you and is going to do it on into the future. In this new and good domain of the spirit's powerfully invasive influence that's actively changing your mind, it's changing your will, and someday it's already in the process of changing your entire body to make it a body that's indestructible and will never die. Here's the point I want you to hear from what Paul is saying. I know that's a lot of unpacking, and just so you know, warning, Romans chapter 8, going through it line by line and trying to unpack all of Paul's theology, it's going to take some unpacking. But the point Paul is making in these verses is this, I am not alone Because the Holy Spirit has willingly invaded my life to give me life. You and I are not alone anymore on our transformation journey. The Holy Spirit's willingly, that's crazy, willingly invaded the scrap heap of my life to give me an actual life. Now to understand that important point, let's start by being really honest with ourselves. We don't have it. And by it, I mean, we don't have what it takes to transfer us from the domain of the flesh into the domain of life with the spirit. And we don't have it, what it takes to transform us into people who are shot through with the life of God. As uh, Pastor Timothy Keller, he put it in his commentary on Romans 8. Here's what he says, quote, Not only is there no hope in ourselves for our salvation, there's also no hope in ourselves for our our obedience and transformation. For any real change, we cannot rely on our own efforts, but only, as Paul explains, on the work of the Spirit. See, what Paul, what Paul, Paul is saying, but Pastor Keller's referencing here, he is saying this is we don't have what it takes to transfer ourselves from the domain of darkness where we're stranded in the domain of the incurably invasive influence of the flesh and nothing else. And, and this is where we as believers often get tripped up. We also don't have what it takes to transform us into a more healthy and whole person shot through with God's indestructible life. We don't have that. But here's the good news. This is the profound news. God is so for us, so very much for us, that the moment a person places their trust in Jesus' saving work, that moment, God doesn't leave us stranded all alone, but he settles his spirit 
in our lives as this good, invasive resident. And, and is this resident within us so that these things can be accomplished, just to, to name a few. For one, the Holy Spirit comes in in order to free us. We are set free by the Spirit's gracious and nurturing, invasive work in us. We're increasingly set free from that old invasive hold of the flesh. The Holy Spirit comes in to free us. The Holy Spirit comes in to focus us. By the Spirit's encouragement, we increasingly learn who God really is. And we learn who we really are as God's beloved. And by the way, come in two weeks. Next week's going to be a little bit of a different message. But come back in two weeks as we get going on Romans 8 verse 12. And Paul's going to tell us a whole lot more about those realities to focus us on who God really is and who we really are before God. And the Holy Spirit comes in to form us by the Spirit's empowering guidance. (laughs) And in my life, tugging, (laughs) we become increasingly formed into people who flourish with God's indestructible life. No matter what our circumstances are, we can still flourish with God's indestructible life. And we become people of hope who know that the invasive formation of the Spirit today is leading somewhere, and guess where it's leading? Into the guarantee of an indestructible life of a resurrected body with the resurrected Jesus, with Jesus in his forever kingdom forever. The Holy Spirit comes to free us, to focus us, and to form us. So here's my appeal to you. Good thing to know, right? Wow, I'm not alone. God has given me his Holy Spirit. A few years ago, someone said something very kind to me, but something that to me was very funny. They said to me, hey, Andy, you have a great sense of style. And I thought that was very funny because I know that within myself, I have this much, zero sense of style. I don't have any style. And so I told the person who complimented me, I said, for for one, thank you so much for the compliment. But the truth is, I don't have style. I just got lucky when God brought style into my life and I married style, otherwise known as Alita. Any style that you can argue I have comes from being married to a woman with great style. But here's the thing. When I first got married to style, as in my wife, Alita, I just continued to live my life like I'd always lived it on my own. On my own, dressing myself with my no-style sense of style. And I knew for sure one thing. I knew I didn't want to be that husband whose wife would lay out my clothes on the bed. Not that there's anything wrong with that if that happens in your home. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying I didn't want that. Uh, I didn't want my clothes laid out for me. Um, but I also just kept living as if I, I was just going to keep doing what I always did. So, you know, T-shirts, quality, arguable, jeans, shorts, oh, old, comfortable shoes. Like, ah, oh, old, you know, old, comfortable shoes are so comfortable. And if I, yeah, amen, brother. And if, and if, I, had to, if I had to dress up, okay, I had a couple things in the closet. I could go raid that really nasty blue corduroy jacket with the felt patches and those pleated slacks that my mom had bought me in 1985. If I had to dress up, I could do that. That was me. Not good. 
When I married Alita, the powerfully invasive influence of style was now present in my life. I had moved into a whole new domain and fully at my disposal to help me actually look presentable. But I was still living as if I was on my own. I was, the, I was literally, I was the living evidence that it is possible as a human being to be in the domain of a new reality and not have the practical experience of that reality. I was, you could just look at my life. That's how that works. The first step, the first step in letting style invade my practical experience was engaging the brain to the fact that a higher power of style was now one with me. Ah, wake up, brain. A higher power is now one with me and very eager to help me and teach me and equip me to dress like someone who actually mattered at God's universe. You know where I'm going with this. Now, I tell you that story because remember, here's what we're, t- we're talking about from the, the richness of Romans 8. You and I are not alone if we believe because the Holy Spirit has willingly invaded our lives in order to give us an actual life. Where I'm going in my appeal is this. Engage the brain to the fact of the Holy Spirit's presence within you. Engage your brain to the fact that you have been invaded now by the Spirit of the living God. The first step towards the richest joy and experience of indestructible life comes from engaging the fact of this new reality that you, if you're a believer, are in a new domain of existence that you're now in. It's about... It's about ending the sleepwalking through your life, you know, just kind of doing what you do, always assuming you're on your own, except for those few moments where it's like, oh, help God, I need a parking space at the mall. It's getting past the sleepwalking thing, and it's about waking up, tuning in, and turning on to this crazy reality that God's spirit is within you. I mean, I want to paint you a picture from the original Testament, often called the Old Testament, that in in the original Testament, God's glory, the story of Israel traveling into the promised land, God's glory and God's presence scandalously, crazily communed with the people. And he communed with the people in this visible but external place to the people. It was a place called the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And then later, in the center of Jerusalem, it became the temple. So, get it? In the old, it was, it was this picture. God is willing to dwell with his people, but it was visible. We could see it and external to them. And all of that was painting a picture pointing to God's ultimate plan, God's ultimate design, which is revealed in all of its fullness in the New Testament, of God dwelling and communing with his people invisibly and internally as the intimate collaborator of the human soul to dwell with you and I that richly. I mean, please just take a minute to trip on the fact that if you've put your faith in Jesus, one third of the Holy Trinity has willingly and permanently invaded your soul to dwell with you for the rest of your days. That's amazing. But how do we practically engage our mind in the reality of the Spirit's presence? 
And that would be a fair question. You know, Pastor Andy, that's great. I, I'm trying to, my imagination is kind of getting caught up on that. But how, how do we practically do that when it, you just said it? It's this invisible and internal thing. I can't see God and touch or hear or taste the Holy Spirit. And these would just be some suggestions from me from my own personal spiritual formation journey is I think these are things that we, we could do. One is, is try to recalibrate your imagination. Recalibrate your imagination. It, it takes intentionality. You hear that word? It takes some intentionality on your and my part to recalibrate our brains from an imagination of how our life works being all alone. Because whether you know it or not, your imagination has always and ever for your whole life been caught up on, I'm on my own, I got to figure this out all by myself, and I've got this problem, and I'll deal with it all by myself. And if this comes up, I'll have to deal with that all by myself, and all by myself, all by myself. Your imagination has been one thing. To take the imagination, it takes intentionality to move from that to unleash the imagination on how life today and into the future can look so different and so much more vibrant with knowing the Holy Spirit is present with you in everything you deal with. From I need a parking space to we got the word of cancer. So recalibrate your imagination. Another suggestion would be recalibrate your concentration. It also takes some intentionality on our part to recalibrate our focus from a daily focus of how we're going to do life on our own without any help, which is right. That's, we've done a lot of spiritual formation on that in our lives for, for many, many years. To recalibrate from that to a daily focus of our mind on the loving and powerful presence of the Holy Spirit who's present with me in everything that I'm facing. Everything. So recalibrate the imagination, the concentration, and finally, because I'm a pastor, it has to have a shun, collaboration. Again, though, I would say it takes intentionality to recalibrate how we live our lives from a mindset of isolation to a mindset of a collaboration in everything you do, everything. A collaboration that views every new challenge, every new opportunity, as an experience that is done together with the living God who dwells within you and wants to guide you, empower you, assist you, provide you wisdom, everything. These are just some suggestions that I have. And this is just the first step. Come again in two weeks because we're going to hear even more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's wanting to shepherd us into the fullness of God's vibrant, abundant life. I'm going to invite Jonathan and Jaden to come on up. Um, and as they kind of get set to lead us in worship, Romans 8, like I just said, it's going to go on to tell us a whole lot more about the good invasive formation and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I absolutely hope you're going to keep coming back, invite your friends to come. But I do want you to understand that the fuller experience of abundant life really opens up by it's the starting line is understanding these two things. Number one, we're not alone. Thank God he has not left us all to ourselves to keep on living in the lostness of just doing us. Number one, you're not alone. And second, God is now on board. And if you're someone here and you do not yet believe, God can become in this moment on board in your life by saying yes to Jesus' offer of salvation which is what he's come to give, life, life to the full, life eternal. And 
for all of us who already believe, and maybe somebody just in these next, few, next moments has entered into belief, God's spirit is now on board and waking up to that fact. It cracks the door open to all the possibilities of how your life will look and feel like an actual life, an actual abundant life. We're not alone because the Holy Spirit has willingly invaded our lives in order to give us an actual life. And I hope this passage, I hope this message will stimulate your thinking even a little bit to engage the brain to the fact the spirit has invaded you, is present with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time with this dear faith family. And God, I thank you so much in my own life that... um, I, have, I, I need your spirit within me. I am not equipped and empowered within myself to transfer myself from one domain into another, and I am not equipped to transform myself. Now, I play a part in it. We're going to talk more about that. It is a collaboration, but I, I don't have the power. And, and I, I know as I'm saying that about myself and conversing with you about that truth, that's the truth that we all confess. This is our confession, God. What I ask is that you would take away the dullness in our spirits that forgets this, that there would be a new refreshing of an an understanding, an awakening, and a sense of wonder and awe that we have not been left alone. Your spirit is with us. And the spirit can grieve with us and weep with us. Spirit can inspire us and give us courage when we don't have it. Spirit can form us where even we're unwilling to be formed and can still get the job done. God, thank you for your spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are with us in this space. Thank you so much for being with us. Would you prompt greater and louder and more intensive worship because of your presence with us? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.